0: Good morning, everyone, I love these early morning uh, office hours, and uh, we're rocking and rolling with Mike Momo and myself. Maybe Dave Marino will join us. We have John and Greg here, John Joseph and Greg McHale, the co founders uh, of Data Data Nomics. Uh, sorry about that. And uh, you know, guys, you know, looking at where you are and the precision that's needed in what you do uh, with. The you know, I I think it's the most under because of the traditional nature of it, it's the most underlooked industry in manufacturing of of anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I always thought it was the automobile industry, uh, but manufacturing itself is, you know, a perceived antiquated business, but yet you guys are on the cutting edge of understanding how data. Can be utilized and technology can be utilized to create efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success in what's our most crucial talk about creatify uh, industry of manufacturing. And we could uh, revive the entire economy uh, if we focus in on reviving our manufacturing capabilities here. So, welcome to Office Hours. I was wondering, you know, how did you start in the digital side in such an antiquated industry?
1: Yeah, sure.
2: So, uh, Greg here. Good, good morning, Dave. Thanks for having us on. Um, so John and I both come from, uh, the enterprise IT infrastructure world. So, uh, we've been working together over 15, 18, 18 years. Now. <laughs> don't, age your, don't age yourself. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we, we met each other actually working at a startup called, uh, Equalogic, which was making data storage infrastructure products. Um, Company was ultimately bought by Dell, and then we were at other other data storage, data infrastructure companies together. You know, basically securing, protecting, and analyzing mission critical data that various types of businesses were storing: banks, hospitals, law firms, you name it. After the uh, last storage startup that we did with the cloud and everything else, obviously, data storage has become a heavily commoditized uh, industry. My joke is it's bought by the ton; it used to be bought by the pound, because which is <laughs> what the what cloud economics have. Have done everything so you know, we basically looked at each other and said let's go find a really cool problem to work on that data infrastructure data analytics people are, are uniquely qualified to understand and let's go do something for people who don't traditionally have the types of skills that we usually see in the companies that we sell into you know teams of analysts uh you know teams of administrators that you know do nothing but live and breathe data you know, let's go, let's go find something like that. So we started looking at machine data, sensor generated data. We started talking to different types of manufacturers, different, you know, verticals within manufacturing, semiconductor, industrial manufacturing, you know, chemicals, food processing, you name it. And we, we had just a very strong affinity to the industrial manufacturing world for a few reasons. Number one, these are some of the most entrepreneurial people on the planet, Uh, you know, what they go in and they do every single day, you know, they're they're there from, from 5am to 7pm, every single day trying to make more parts, trying to, you know, uh, quote, quote, more work for their business, trying to fine tune a process, you know, to to get more profit out of it, every single thing that they work on is, is kind of its own startup, right? Every part is, is its own, you know, startup, if you will, that they need to Uh, to see from end to end and, and deliver to their customers. And we just saw how lacking the shop floors were with information that could make them significantly more efficient at understanding their processes, understanding as they, as they work to dial things in, as they work to increase profits, a guidance system, that's actually helping them to say, you know, these are the processes that you want to be paying attention to. If you're somebody who's trying to run a better business, uh, you know, these are the jobs that you're most inconsistent on, that you want your supervisors paying attention to, you know, to, to increase your on-time delivery, to to increase, you know, your profitability of those components. There were, you know, there were companies that were collecting data. When are my machines running and when are they not running? Um, you know, and that was nice, but it wasn't transformational. And, and we said, you know, people are just missing the mark here with how much insight is available to this industry. And off we went. I think, I
1: think to put it in context for your viewers, the... The applications of what these people do are some of the most critical applications uh, of things that we use and things that we transport people around in and cargo in uh, in our society. Jet engines, uh, jet aircraft parts, uh, boat parts, uh, automobile engines, uh, medical uh, surgical devices that are used for knees and hips and shoulder surgeries and all kinds of highly precise uh, pieces of uh, equipment that... Uh, are are critical to making our infrastructure work in the country.
3: Absolutely, guys. Good morning. Uh, Love what you're saying. And I'm down here in Miami for uh, NFT Basel, and it's all the rage, right? Everybody's talking about NFTs and and blockchain and technology and where we're going. So it's not just about the collectible side of of NFTs, but really what interests Dave and I and, and some of the companies that we're involved in is exactly what you're talking about, the utility of NFTs and the technology of blockchain. How much of that do you see being a part of what you do and determining, like you te- talk about, you know, the logistics of transporting important things like parts for hips and different things, so that you can create that kind of authentic, immutable chain to help your customers? How much of that do you see being a part of what you do? Yeah, I, I think you know, in, in in
2: due time, it's it's definitely going to play out on on the supply chain uh, side of things for sure, right? So you know, particularly you think about aerospace and defense components. There is, There are all sorts of requirements around handling security, protection, validity of prints, part numbers, uh, you know, process data that just needs to be absolutely guaranteed that it, you know, did not end up in, in the wrong hands. And I, I think there's clear applicability of those technologies uh, on that dimension for industrial manufacturers.
4: Dave, hey, you want me to go? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Dave, you can go. I'm not sure what was covered and not covered. Yeah, I
0: apologize. um, You know, it's interesting because you mentioned two words. Subtly you mentioned them, but yet I think it's the key distinguished value that the data and your company are providing. And it's profit and time. Uh, Before it was maintenance, right? It was data-driven maintenance. Yeah. and, And that was it. And because you guys have utilized the skills that you have ascertained throughout your careers in IT, the knowledge of not only what, you know, is being, uh, you know, utilized and how, uh, but who you know as well, um, because they just manufacturing such a close knit ancestral being in manufacturing that they had no, uh, they had mostly just resistance towards IT. uh, And now you're opening the door to two things that always gets any business person's attention, which is, hey, Data saves a tremendous amount of time. Everything from workflow to human human resource to every area, it saves time. And we all know, number one, if we can save time, we're going to make more money. But even more importantly, we could increase the margins uh, through the efficiency and statistical success. Where do you still see the resistance today? From you know, and I know I deal with the automobile industry a lot, and you know, I still think there's dealerships with dot matrix printers out there uh, <laughs> and, and, faxing, and faxing over your, your title. Um, but more importantly, you know, manufacturing has the same stigma. Where do you still see the resistance today to what you do?
1: I, I would uh, start by saying uh, we don't see a lot of resistance for what we do, actually. When people see our product, they see a fully integrated solution that was designed from the ground up by my friend to my left here. Uh, and and the engineers that uh, that work for them um, it, it built logically uh, just as the people who run these businesses think about running their businesses. So um, it's important to uh, watch your customers carefully, watch how they run their businesses, look at the data that they need to run their businesses, the decisions they need to make with operators and machines and maintenance and procurement of raw material and the delivery signals they need to send to their customers and build an integrated system. Uh, that delivers that, that total solution to those customers. The, the, uh, there are other companies out there that build point solutions. What we uh, started the company doing was was focused on a, a full solution that gives you all of the information that you need to be able to run any aspect of your production uh, on the floor. As Greg said, a guidance system to move your people in the direction of problem solving instead of just stumbling upon problems across the uh, the course of their workday. Yeah, the 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 other thing
2: I'd I'd say about you know resistances uh, industrial manufacturing is absolutely on fire in the United States right now. So if if your backlogs are not up, you know if your lead times are not up, if you're not uh, trying to get orders in for more machines because you have more demand than you can handle, you're you're you know potentially doing it wrong. Uh, because again, this industry is absolutely on fire. Private equity firms are out there uh, buying up manufacturing companies, consolidating them, consolidating supply chains. There's just so much great action in this space. And all of that is a long-winded way of saying, people are in a growth mindset in industrial manufacturing right now. And when you're in a growth mindset uh, to exactly what you said, Dave, if you're not figuring out how to save time and how to increase margin, you're missing a huge opportunity. So we're seeing a lot of the growth mindset out there in industrial manufacturers. And if you, if you wake up with that mentality, there's no resistance, you know, there's money to be made.
1: And I I think there's one more aspect to it. Um, Manufacturing when it first started 150 years ago was a a local industry, right? There are places in one city, made things for places in other cities. And uh, it was this, uh, uh, this very localized, regionalized uh, setting. Today, manufacturing is, is on a global stage, and uh, the American manufacturers are competing against um, foreign competitors that um, have subsidized uh, p and statements. They have, you know, government subsidies, for example. Their workers are paid nearly nothing to produce these parts, and so uh, for us, the ultimate leveler in this equation is data analytics. If we can provide people with the data analytics, to your point, David, of saving them time uh, and cutting down on their their burn rate, on the OpEx side of things, uh, mission accomplished. And we have been able to do that very successfully with the people who sold the product to.
3: Hey guys, I wanted to zoom out if we could for a second um, and and talk about, you talked about this company and, and the previous startup with regard to being entrepreneurs. Has that been something that you've both always done or did that also like you talked about providing solutions within this company? That's what you did, which is great. Um, Did that also, you know, being an entrepreneur, did that also come out of being involved in companies earlier on in your careers where things just didn't exist? And you said, we have to go out there and do this on our own. Or how did, you know, becoming
1: entrepreneurs, how did that happen? I, I'll speak first because I've got a much longer career than this guy. <laughs> um, I, I, worked in, um, I worked in very large corporations for a long time. Half of my career has been in large corporations. And they're slower moving. Um, they have you know a large installed base of customers, and they're trying to serve those customers. What I found was spending time in those large companies, um, if you want to challenge yourself, if you want to push yourself to do more, to be more, to bring more value, to the table as, a, as an individual. You wanna go join a, a small company that has identified a critical pain point for a set of customers that are out there, has put together a solution that those customers resonate with um, and are, is able to sell it to them as a, as a total solution. You wanna join that team because it's fast moving, it's diverse, you're doing 15 different things uh, over the course of a week that you would never have done at a large corporation. So it was appealing to me. and. So twenty years ago or so, I I switched gears, moved out of large corporate America, and moved into a startup mode where I, I first met Greg, and we've been working together ever since.
2: And I, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. Uh, my dad was a startup founder uh, in the the seventies and eighties. Multiple you know server oriented, very early days of uh, you know computing technology, literally. You know, first time uh, multiple uh, computers were ever networked at a trade show. It's one of the companies that uh, my, my dad started. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial household uh, where it was sort of, you know, just kind of ingrained in the mentality that, uh, you know, it, it, it's your job to create. It's your job to define. It's, you know, your job to figure out you know, how you want to spend your time and, and what you want to work on. Uh, my, my first job, uh, both in college and out of college, was uh, a startup company. So I've only ever worked for startups or the companies that have acquired them. Um, you know, on the big company side of it, uh, like the company that John and I were at together, Equalogic, was acquired by Dell. Um, you know, there's a lot of great things Dell does, you know, as a, as, as a large global company to, you know, help bring your product to a significant, you know, significant number of customers. More than you could have, you know, on, on your own jet fuel and and the brand cachet uh, and all of those things. But you know, pace of innovation decreases significantly when you're used to you know being three guys sitting around a table figuring out what to build. Um, so it, if you know if if you're used to the rev limiter being at twenty thousand RPM, seven thousand isn't that fun. <laughs> you no, know it is. Well, thank
0: you, Greg and John. We certainly appreciate you. Data is the cornerstone of the future. Data, no mix, Uh Revolutionizing the industrial world in the manufacturing for efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success. Come back and join us. Keep up the great work. And thank you. I think it is the backbone of our country. So thank you so much for what you guys do.
4: Thanks very much. Take Thanks, care, guys. guys. Appreciate, Appreciate it.
0: it. You got it. Thank you. All right. Now I get a dear friend coming on. She woke up early for us, which is super kind. She's a New York Times best-selling author which I want to uh, notate, that's the real deal, right? Anybody can be an Amazon, Amazon, anybody can be an Amazon bestseller, uh, but uh, a New York Times bestselling author, an extraordinary life coach, and she has a, a new book, The Desire Factor, Christy Whitman, How to Embrace Your Materialistic Nature to Reclaim Your Full Spiritual Power, and it came out earlier this year. Christy and I are kindred spirits, so uh, Christy, I'd like to start off to say congratulations And uh, it's no accident, uh, considering we consult with, I think, the same council, for those of you who can understand that, uh, I've been writing a book called Reconciliation. And part of it is the reclamation of the materialization of the difference between inspiration and information. Uh, And if you, you know, I've been studying words for a long time, but a lot of people won't look and dissect inspiration in spirit. With infor formation, mm-hmm. and I think you know you have a nice book that will help people to reclaim how we can take our inspiration and create information from it that's utilized in the pragmatic world. Uh, what inspired you uh, to write about this specific reconciliation of inspiration to information? <sighs>
5: Well, first, hi to all of you. Very, very happy to be with you. And great. and David, you know that I just absolutely love you. So I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, I, you know, it was one of those moments in time where I was on a cruise ship and I had just treated my family, including my mom, my dad, my two boys, my husband, um, had such great career success, treated them to this Mediterranean cruise. And one of the things that I wanted to do is when we went to Venice, I wanted to go shopping for a purse. Because if anybody that knows fashion knows that that Venice is just like the shopping Shangri-La, it's just amazing. And I, I've always, since I was a little girl, loved shopping and I've always loved purses. And um, back up several years prior to that, my... Husband, who was at my boyfriend at the time, and my parents went to Venice, and it was one of those moments where I just created my job. I just created my career, left corporate America, and so I had to be mindful about what I spent money on. And going into a Dolce and Gabbana or Dior store, you know, to shop at that time was just not realistic. So instead of saying, "Oh, I can't afford this," or "You know, this isn't for me," or feeling limited in any way. I told my husband, I said, someday we're going to come back here and I'm going to go into any of these stores and I'm going to buy whatever I want. Not because I, you know, because I want to, or because well, I did, but it was more because I, I wanted to be a symbol of how much I grew and how much I expanded and also the impact that I made in the career that I just started. So it, or at least the business I've been doing the coaching for many years, but so I told him, I declared that, right? So now fast forward, here I am in this cruise ship. I just spent a beautiful day in Venice. I got the purse that I wanted. I'm unwrapping it. I'm on this, you know, feeling so successful. I've, I've got this piece of evidence of the success that I created. And all of a sudden I hear this voice say, that is so shallow. That is so materialistic. And, and that was the moment. It's like, why? Why is that bad? I declared something that wasn't in my realm at a time. I wasn't the only thing I focused on, but, but, who I became in the process of that and the success that I created, this is a symbol of success. Why is that bad? But it was my conditioning. It was my sister in the back of my head saying, you know, don't be so shallow. And that's the moment. I
0: got to interrupt you because it's it's so interesting because I had a a very similar transformation with a kid named Tay Sweat. Uh, You know, I had the same experience with a Ferrari. To me, that was going to be, the you know the materialization of my success everybody was going to be impressed by it i was going to love it and what i did is i i was super happy when i bought it and then i learned from it and it wasn't right for me and so i got rid of it so this kid tastes sweat makes a lot of money and he buys a lambo and my reaction in all fairness christy was dude why would you do that you know you like i i literally from only my own personal experience. I said, why would you do that? And he said to me, because he's an inner city kid who's made it. He said, because when other inner city kids look at me and say, man, you, you a DJ, are you a rapper? Are you an athlete? I look at him and say, no, I read books and teach people. Hmm. And all of a sudden the spirit and the energy of the materialization right? We give meaning to everything that we see. Exactly. And I love the fact that you were giving it other people's meaning. Uh, and we make that mistake so often. So I had, I had to point that out because I actually would have been one of those people in the back of your head going, "Oh, why
5: would would you waste your money on that? Right. Exactly. But,
0: but I've, I've transformed in, in, you know, totally understand, Yet, if you have the right reasons and you, and you have money, which I really believe is a power, then you can give things the meaning that you want. And if you buy things for the right reason, you're going to be really happy. If you buy things for, to impress people and impress people you don't like or impress people in your family or combination thereof, yeah, you'll never be happy. It's you'll empty. feel shallow.
5: Yeah, it's empty because we keep we keep pushing things outside of ourselves. I'll be happy when, and, and that's right, what I think. attaching
0: and our emotions to an outcome exactly, it,
5: exactly. And that's the whole thing about the desire factor is that you know we we have a goal, we have a vision, and as a human being, when we get that goal or we get that vision, we get the car, we get the person, we get the house, or we get the partner, whatever the desire is. There's a certain level of like satisfaction right? In some cases, not. You could get an accomplishment. I remember the first time I hit the New York Times because I've had two books that hit the New York Times. First time I thought, well, this is going to be the end all be all. I didn't know what I thought. I don't know if a parade was going to come through in my house or bags money. of money were going to drop on me. <laughs> Nothing in that moment happened. And I remember when I found out my literary agent called me and I was at the mall. My boys were really young at the time. They were like a year and a half at three years old. And I was at the mall. I was so excited and did this call and I leaned down to them and I go, mommy's a New York times bestselling author. And they're looking at me like drool, you know, like nothing changed for them. They didn't love me anymore. And it was that thing that well, once I become a New York times, bestselling author, and we do that all the time. Once I become, it's great to have desires because like you're saying, that's where the inspiration comes in. We're the receiver of an idea. And then we, what we do with that idea, we go, Oh, I love that. Right. I have this idea to start my own company. I have this idea, you know, and then that grows into a desire that that we it it moves us, it it creates life force beyond us. It inspires us beyond who we could ever possibly be. And that's the desire factor we want to get a hold of, because that desire in and of itself has the potential to grow us and expand us into who we never even thought we could be.
4: Dave, I'm happy you brought that story up. And every time you tell me that story, it resonates so well. Um, because I, I look at being successful, coming from the inner city and having to deal with the other side of it uh, a lot, having that survivor's guilt where you're dealing with a lot of haters, right? It's like, oh, well, why do you need this? Or why do you need that? Or you're doing too much, right? And and I've obviously worked through not attaching my happiness to, to material items. And I live a pretty low maintenance life, but I'm happy, Christy, that you're empowering professionals to to be happy and successful in terms of managing those desires. And I would love to hear about that balance in terms of how do you coach them on addressing the desires? What are the principles in the book on uh, on what they should do to be happy and successful at the same time?
5: I love that you're asking that question. Thank you. So yeah, these are seven steps and they they're you like score,
0: so I'm gonna give them a point. <laughs> That's a good question.
5: You get five from me.
0: That was, a, that was a
5: really good question. Um, You're catching it, it, up, Dave. It's how, it's how energy moves. And so that's why the principles like, really understand, like how does manifestation even happen? And the first thing that we have to do is align. The minute you get an idea for something, for a desire, and you, you in your mind go, I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not qualified. I don't have enough school, whatever that is that creative thing that is breathing us, that's beating our heart, gave us that desire. And the minute we can align with it, that's when we start the whole process. And then it's getting our own in, 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 faculties as a human being. So for example, the next, the next principle is the principle of focus. We've got these incredible minds. If we're focused on what we don't want, we feel horrible. If we focus on what we do want, we feel great. But we're the one that has the free will and choice of where we focus that mind where we focus and even put in the visualizations and the imagination using that for what it's worth because it is creative and it's also very destructive so we have that power where we focus and it all starts with faith you know where where are we focusing our faith because we we can't get any more faith we're either focusing it on what we want and what we want to experience and the future that we want to create Or we're focusing on the past and what we can't create and the excuses or the reasons or justification. So that's up to us to to focus. And then the third, which is also part of the mind, is that once you're focused, you go, okay, I want that partner. I want that career. I want that new success. I want that new level of money, whatever that is. And you feel your way into that and you see yourself doing it. Then there's the realization the mind is so brilliant. We'll say, well, you don't have it yet. It's going to take a long time. There's a big gap and it's understanding that we have to always manage that gap because there's always gonna be a gap from what we want to what we don't want from this moment to the next moment. We're always in transition. And so when we can have the understanding of being joyfully expecting the desire that we want, that brings us then into the next principle, which is the principle of having, which is being a vibrational match to what you want. Because if you're in lack of any kind, you're absolutely not a vibrational match to the abundance or the fulfillment of what you want. And then, you know, loving that feeling, loving that vibration, then you come to a place of surrendering it. You know, it's like, I don't know the how right here, but I surrender to the part that gave me that desire in the first place. I surrender that negative thought. I surrender that emotion or I surrender that perspective that I can't have what I want. And then from there, allows more inspiration to come. And that's when we take action, massive action, inspired action with the fullness of our being. And sometimes it's not just even physical action. Sometimes it's an action of, I got to take myself over in the room right now and go inward and meditate so that I can get a different perspective on this and then take an action that will be coming from clarity.
4: Can I make a quick comment, Mike? I know you have, I'm sure you have a question. You just gave me the emotion that Dave gives me all the time. And Dave knows it when, when Dave becomes preacher, Dave, and I just want to say preach, you just hit that right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Kindred yeah, spirits, I, like I, I said,
5: yeah,
3: I absolutely agree. Christine, you're speaking and our it's language. Cha- it's ch- it
0: channeling, not preaching, but it's fine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to focus and everything that you say that you just mentioned with regard to, you know, what are the flowers and the flowers grow? What are the weeds and the weeds grow? Yes. And, and when you talk about surrender, Dave turned uh, David Moreno on to the Surrender Experiment, which became one of Moreno's favorite books. Moreno turned me on to the Surrender Experiment, which is now one of my favorite books. And yes. So I get all of that. Uh, we get all of that. My question is, some people might not. S- some people are closer to the start line than others are, and some people are closer to the finish line. What do you do to get people, because some people are not as receptive to energy, you know, with regard to energy and, and mastering that energy and abundance and all of these other things. How do you get them there?
5: Well, first of all, you know, I, I get it because 25 years ago when we would speak about energy and that's when I started my, my conscious spiritual journey, energy was very woo woo, right? Now we right. here we are and it's, it's scientific. Like they know now that everything is energy. We know that. And so if everything is energy and we can understand, and this is the whole point of the desire factor is that any form that has ever formed itself, whether it's a rock, a human being, or, you know, a company, there's always a current of energy that's underneath that form. And when you scientifically just even look at that, right, if you look at an ocean, what is moving the waves? It's a current. And sometimes we don't we don't see that current, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. We don't see a feeling, but it doesn't mean that we don't have them. And so understanding that everything truly is energy again, quantum physics shows it, it's been proven. And to, to take it a step further and understand, well, what is our relationship with that energy? We're we're the we're the conduit. If I if I have go to your faucet and turn on the water, if you don't have a container. You can't take that water with you. It's going to go right down the drain. So we have all this energy. It's here. It's there. It's all around us. It's inside of us. It's living us. It's breathing us. And when we understand that we are an energy receiver, because we are the physical container of it, then we are the container. Now what we transmit out, we have to focus. We have to, what's the undercurrent of energy? Is it fear? Is it worry? Or is it excitement? Is it, Positive expectation is it appreciation is it gratitude is it love, because that energy will create our experiences. It is universal law.
0: Yeah, and you know to finish up because uh, we have the wonderful Kate Ekman waiting for us as well. It's this the Stellar Women Day, um, <laughs> Christy. You, you, it's so important for people. I'm going to rearticulate what you're saying that you know there is a current in the universe which is energy and motion which we've created emotion, energy in motion. And then there's current seas, uh, which we are, an object of energy. Yes. In which we put into the flow uh, to attract or allow or accept that vibrational match of what we want, that desire. And so if we look at things as currents and current seas, we might be able to get a better construct in the man-made constructive mind of saying terrific i understand emotion now i understand energy in motion and i understand the objects of energy that we put into motion for that vibrational match or frequency you and i sit in the same frequency i feel you and think about you all the time i know we're connected so congratulations of course on your book if there's Thanks. anything we could ever do for you all you have to do is ask the incredible christy whitman ChristyWhitman.com. whitman.com dear friend of mine and a council member of mine. Thank you so much for being such an inspiration to all.
5: Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Nice. You. You. Bye everybody. Thanks for waking okay. up early.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Awesome. All right, from one joy to the next, get ready, talk about emotion, energy, emotion. Kate Ekman is the definition of energy emotion. You can see her light up the screen like Christy. She's the CEO of her own company, Kate Ekman, but also an author of The Full Spirit Workout, a 10 set system to shed your self-doubt, strengthen your spiritual core, and create a fun and fulfilling life, came out this June. And uh, she is helping me empower over a billion people to find and seek and pursue their potential. Kate Ekman, thank you so much. I can't believe you have that picture behind you. I just bought that picture in uh, a a big, there are two, each of those wings are two that are same color, same exact thing uh, that are much larger in uh, Pueblo de Allende. And uh, it's a six-week shipment to get them, thanks to our great logistics. But uh, there has to be a sign in there somewhere. So anyway, welcome to Office Hours.
6: I love that. Thank you so much. You know, I'm feeling called to read you. I have a candle right here that says, Angels are watching over you, their wings wrap gently around you, whispering, you are loved and blessed. And I just love that message. And obviously, um, our angels are always around us and and with us and guiding and supporting us. And then we have our, our earth angels here, too. So <laughs> Aww, <your laughs> Thank you. I, I,
0: I had to redeem myself because probably a couple of years ago, we did an early show and a guy had a picture behind him. And I'm like, oh, what is that, an alien? He goes, oh, no, that's a picture of my wife. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my so w- welcome to office hours. We're here welcome. to offend you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, it's so critical to understand this spiritual workout and we all know the physical. Some of us are in mental practice and, and workouts. I think refocus for me is one of the crucial mental Uh, workouts that I do every day, the ability to refocus because I know the speed of thoughts faster than the speed of time. But a lot of people have no idea about spiritual workout. Uh, So could you help in layman's term describe, you know, what spiritual working out is?
6: Yeah, this is really building strong mental and emotional and spiritual muscles. So just like we have to go to the gym to combat against physical gravity, We have to also combat against emotional gravity, like stress, fear, anxiety, global pandemics, uh, anything, comparison, judgment, anything that lays us down. And there's so much emphasis placed on the externals and the physical in our culture, but a lot less is paid attention to our inner. Uh, For instance, um, how to control your your anger or how to control uh, overwhelm or exhaustion. And so rather than the hustle and grind and forcing to make things happen which is beat into us in our society this is more about stillness and taking a step back and a practice i like to do my sit and stare time where we're reflecting on our experiences that's how we really learn and and grow and taking that pause in between all the zooms and all the meetings and all the interactions and i'm in new york city all <laughs> the noises and really checking in with yourself like you would a small child and asking how are you doing? How did that conversation go? What's working, what isn't? So really that, that mindful, conscious, deliberate pause and slowing down to check in with ourselves so that we, we do build a, more confidence, our relationships improve and, and we start treating ourselves and others better.
4: Kate, okay, I think this is tremendous and I would love to shift a little bit, but how can we implement this in children? Because I feel like so often it gets overlooked and then you meet these random kids like Dave's son, Miles, who's uber enlightened, you, you realize he lives with Dave, right? He knows all the lessons and messages, but so many kids don't have access to this sort of thing. So A, how can we implement it in them? And B, like what way can we teach them these, these concepts?
6: I think we, we teach kids by, by demonstrating, you know, to, to teach is to demonstrate. And I think it's easy to say to your kid, calm down or just be grateful or whatever. But we say it from a place where we're not calm and we're not acting the same way. So I think we can demonstrate to our children by how we behave, but also the tone of voice. And I find for myself when I'm rushing around and and overbooking my schedule and not giving myself that proper time to care for myself, I'm not speaking to myself and others and my most enlightened self. And, and parents, if you are a parent, you are a modern day superhero. I don't know how any of you get anything done. Yeah, um, they're I, the, f- I, the
0: first, middle and last responders, parents.
6: A- absolutely. And so if you are a parent, especially listening right now, and I could can, I, I can hear it as I say it, well, it must be nice or isn't that cute. I don't have time. And I've, I've talked to Dave about this before because I say, well, I don't have time to yell at my children. I don't have time to be a jerk to the person at Starbucks. I don't have time to be overwhelmed or exhausted. So I think when we take that time to really care for ourselves and then our kids, they're picking up, I don't have kids. I'm a proud auntie, but the kids are constantly picking up on everything that we say and do, as you know, they're little sponges.
3: Kate, I absolutely agree with you. Good morning. And I wanted to go back to something that you said when you talked about how important it is to, to stop and check in with yourself and ask, how did that conversation go? How did that meeting go? So so that's obviously either the primary or one of the first steps that are critical. But then that next step, once you do ask yourself, how did that meeting go? And you say, "Ah, terrible, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. How important is the aspect of forgiveness or something else to get you through what you need to get through to get you into that fun and fulfilling life that you help others uh, develop?
6: Yeah, great question. As I like to say, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is always forgiveness. And so I, I think as you were talking and you say, what's the next step? I I get into curious brain. You know, there's researchers that talked about the curious versus the anxious brain. And most of us, whether we realize it or not, hi Jake. Good morning. <laughs> I love Jake.
0: Let me look who's here at five in the Everybody. Morning. This
2: is the best guest we've ever had on. She really <laughs> she Right at the screen, Kate.
6: <laughs> You're the best, Jake. Giving you a big hug.
2: Big virtual hug. Happy Friday, everybody.
6: Happy he, Friday. Friday.
0: He completely oh, okay. sabotaged it. He's like, I sorry, Dave. I'm coming on to say hi to where she's my fave. So he, cool.
6: Oh, he's the best. Dave has the best staff ever. I just and partners, with the like and, and partners like Ebony and Ivory over and my partners yeah. over here, Ebony and
0: Ivory. Yeah. These guys are great. Yeah. This I, is I like Dave because he's so much taller than me, and Mike because he's so much shorter than me. <laughs>
6: Yeah, it's a good looking crew here. I love it. Um, But yeah, I I think we spend so much time in our anxious brain and don't even realize it. So then the next step is to ask yourself these questions. But get curious instead of, oh, man, I blew it. Or why do I always say these dumb things? Or I should have done this. Get into curious brain like, hmm. I wonder why I got really triggered in that moment and said this thing. And when we're triggered, by the way, it's just our values are being compromised or are threatened. And so I think the more we can just stay curious, even for me one day, I just got really emotional and started crying. And instead of judging myself and being anxious about it, like you look dumb crying in front of these people, it was, hmm. Why are, you, why are you crying? What's going on here? And it was just like, I love these people. I've deeply connected with them and I don't want it to end. This was part of my grad school training. I'm like, I'm gonna miss these people. So it's appropriate that I'm sad and crying.
4: I wanna ask a quick question, Kate. So one of the other things that's interesting about you, you have so much going on and we're excited about the book. You've worked with some of the most successful athletes and celebrities, kind of like my boy Dave, but you've also interviewed some interesting folks uh, from Barack Obama to Angelina Jolie. I'm really curious because I believe strongly there's a common commonality and a common thread between most successful people, irrespective of the actual field. So have you noticed from all of the interactions, common themes or common threads and maybe the, the outlook or the way they approach life?
6: I love this question, and because you brought up celebrities, and I'm talking about the, the A-list celebrities, so I'm thinking Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Angelina, Barack. The thing that they had in common, even versus maybe a B or C-list celebrity, they were genuinely nice. And one of my favorite stories from my entertainment reporting career, whatever you want to say about Tom Cruise, it was the premiere for The Last Samurai. That movie was almost three hours long. The premiere was in Westwood. The movie was over. People were coming out. The red carpet was being rolled up. The lights were turned off. And Tom Cruise was still out talking to every single media outlet that showed up over 300. And I'll never forget that because his publicist kept trying to pull him away. And he said, these people have taken the time out of their day to come and get this interview. I'm going to stay and talk to them. And I'll never forget that. And you just think of a a Tom Hanks and some of these people or an Angelina, all the work that she does for social justice and giving back in the world. So that is a common thread. And I do think about it a lot when I'm around really successful people, and maybe they're a billionaire, but their relationships are in shambles. They don't seem happy. They're treating the production assistants on set like jerks I think that's not success to me so that's a lot of my work too is redefining success for people because you can have all the money all the things in the world but if you aren't happy and you're treating people like crap why does it it doesn't even matter
3: kate i absolutely agree and you know kind of the converse of what dave just asked is there something with people that do have this obstacle this block in terms of having a happy and fulfilled life Is there something that you see as a common theme? Is it fear-based or something else that you see limiting them?
6: I think a lot of us are guilty of falling asleep to the truth of who we are. We have uh, plugged in to society and societal standards that we don't even believe in. And we are constantly bombarded by all the messaging that we aren't good enough. You need these million products to be worthy of anything. So I think... And and it's a lot of clients that I work with, and it, it saddens me deeply because they'll even say to me, "I don't need to close another multi million dollar deal. I don't need another mansion or Ferrari or whatever." They don't feel fulfilled, and so it is then asking themselves, "What does bring me fulfillment?" And it's just the simplest things. When they tell me, um, setting aside an hour a day to go for a walk. A one man, a, a client of mine, had a heart attack in his forties, and so now. The work that we do is is not about business. It's I, I really want to set aside time to call my friends from high school and college and reconnect with them. And it just it's so simple and it's free and it doesn't take the Harvard degree. And, and I think a lot of us are are putting these things aside in the name of being successful and making money. Both are great things and we, we all want that and that's great. But I think we also need to really re-examine what success actually means and what true fulfillment looks and feels like and define that for ourselves.
0: Well, Kate, it's an amazing blessing to have you here. Thank you so much. I know it's not quite as early in New York as it is out here in California, (laughs) but you just look and sound wonderful early in the morning. Uh, You were amazing. Uh, You guys got to check her out on season three of Two Minute Drill. Uh, We have extraordinary judges and we bring it. And Kate just elevated, uh, Jason Waller, myself and Rory. Uh, she was amazing on set. And, you know, I think you live what you talk about when you were talking about interviewing the greats and, uh, you know, and I agree, but you yourself, uh, live by that spirit of excellence by being kind to your future self and doing good deeds. And it's really that simple, whether you're the most famous celebrities on earth, athletes, billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, just be kind like Kate Ekman, check out her book. Kindness is part of the spiritual workout. So you'll see that is incorporated within your spiritual core. Thank you so much for all you do. Please come back and visit us. We got many more shows. We look forward to collaborating with you much, much more. Thank you.
6: Thank you so much. Have an awesome Friday guys. Thank we you will. so much. <laughs> we got training coming
0: up. We got a big training coming up in about 15 minutes. So thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Awesome. All right, boys, take away for the day. Who's going first? I'll jump in, Dave.
3: So for me, it was very clear um, the importance and profound impact of focus in our lives, you know, the old where attention goes, energy flows. And when we talk about applying that in business like John and Greg did, or in our personal lives, like Christy and Kate just talked about, people need to stop and whether it's in their business or in their personal lives or both, focus on their focus before they decide where they're going to go.
4: I had a feeling Mike was going to have the same one as me or a remix version just because it was so abundantly clear today. Uh, where the common threads were, I think it's 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 intentionality, whether it's in your spiritual life or whether it's even with your desires, being intentional on what's important to you, so that you don't feel that guilt for having it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, my my takeaway is the match game. You know, with all all the guests, you know, conformity uh, will not allow us to match anything new, and the spirit of allowance is that energetic match and we have to clear interference to a frequency to match the other frequency everything already exists and i think you know the best-selling authors uh, that have been on and even in the data side what what data mix does is it clears the interference it makes a, a match uh for efficiency or effectiveness it makes a match of, of allowance so uh the match game is kind of my takeaway uh you guys are well suited well matched dave marino took a big Come back today with the all nuggets with his questions, just racking up the points. So, congratulations, DM. Uh, I have training boys in 15 minutes, it's a hot seat coaching training. Uh, would love you to, you know, I'll do Alan and Kevin first, but in the second half, love for you know me to give you a little bit of coaching as well. So, please join me and everyone else. You got that over 50,000 people registered on the webinar. You can get it, really? IG, you can get a TikTok, you can get a LinkedIn, everywhere you want to go. You can catch me, Hot Seat Coaching, and especially Clubhouse. So join me on Clubhouse for the training, 6 a.m. Pacific time, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you, boys. I'll see you in a few minutes.
3: Thank you. See you there.
0: Peace. All right. Here we go. 15 minutes till Hot Seat Coaching on all the platforms. Come and join me in 15 minutes. We're going to rock and roll. uh, Play the match game in your life. Attract and allow what you want. It's already here. And most importantly, be kind to your future self
6: and do good deeds. We'll see you in 13 minutes.